Good morning, Keystone. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Hebrews again uh, as we continue this series in the book of Hebrews called Jesus is Better. Uh, we'll be in Hebrews 4, the end of Hebrews 4 through the beginning of Hebrews chapter 5. So you can open up there if you have your Bibles with you. Um, I can uh, remember that one of the jobs I worked before I went away to college was uh, I worked shortly for an Amish framing company that built pole barns. And, And I can still remember the one and only day that I helped to set uh, roof trusses on a pole barn. So I I was assigned to be one of the people on one of the outside walls, and and I would be on that wall, and as the crane guided this big truss up, I was supposed to help grab the edge of it, uh, guide it into its place on the wall, and then hold it there while everyone else kind of worked to secure it. So I I was standing about uh, 30 feet up on a two-by-six board that was on top of the wall, supposed to kind of walk back and forth on this wall, getting these trusses and putting this down. Now, you should know, uh, I don't like heights at all. That's one of my phobias. And so I I can still remember this being probably one of the most fearful days I've ever had at work. As all day, I'm thinking, how can I be confident that I'm not going to fall off this little two-by-six board and fall 30 feet down and hit the ground. And what I remember about that day is as long as I could grab onto or grasp onto a truss that was already securely in place, then I was confident and able to kind of stand steady on that wall. But as soon as I let go of that truss, well, then I started to waver in my confidence. How, how can I be confident? That, that is a, a question we ask in all sorts of different scenarios in our lives. Maybe you get on a plane and you ask, how can I be confident this plane isn't going to crash? Or, or, or maybe you take a new job and you ask, well, how can I be confident that this job is actually going to work out? Or, or maybe you go in for surgery and you think, how can I be confident that this surgery is going to go well? In all sorts of different areas of our lives, we, we ask, how can I be confident and then find ourselves reaching for some reason or something that might give us confidence. This is a question we, we ask also in relation to God. Or if we don't, we should. Like, how can I be confident in relationship with God? How can I be confident before him? This is especially the case when we reflect on the final verse we read last week, Hebrews 4.13, where we hear, No creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. Like we are in a far more precarious position before God than I was standing on a 30-foot two-by-six. He sees everything. He knows everything. And we give an account to him. How can I be confident to approach that God? How can I be confident in his presence and standing before him? Or you might be thinking, how can I be confident? This God who is so holy and great and is in heaven, how can I be confident that he cares for me? That he really understands me and what I'm facing and cares anything about me? Or or maybe we think, how can I be confident in my future with him? How can I be confident that one day I really am going to be with him for all eternity? 
Hebrews answers these questions and more. Any question we might have in relationship, how can I be confident with God, before God, in God, in this way? We can be confident with God because Jesus is our high priest. Hebrews is a book that speaks often of Jesus as our high priest. The high priest who is better than any other high priest we find in the Old Testament. And that role of high priest may seem really foreign to us because we don't talk about it very often. We don't have a whole lot of high priests around that we see. And yet we find that actually the more that we understand Jesus' role as our high priest and what he's doing for us right now, the more confident we become in our relationship with God in all those areas we talked about. And and so this morning, we're going to ask those questions that were just mentioned. How, How can you and I dare to confidently approach God? How can you and I be confident that he actually understands us and cares about us? And how can you and I be confident that one day our future really is going to be with him forever? And we're going to see Hebrews 4, 14 through 5, 10, answering every one of those questions, saying, because Jesus is your high priest. Because Jesus is your high priest. And so let's pray and then read those verses together this morning. Father, one of the things that I'm longing that you would do, but both for me and everyone here, is that you'd actually this morning give us a glimpse into heaven right now and that we'd see a picture of what's happening right now in heaven with Jesus at your side and that by faith we would see that and understand it and it would fill us with a type of confidence in our relationship with you. God, only you can do that through your spirit. And so I'm praying that you would pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 14, the preacher says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Though he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. First of all, think, how can I be confident? How can you be confident to approach God, 
to think that we could actually stand in his presence, to think that we have access to him at any point, any place, any time. We might start to answer that question by first asking another question, well, why do we need a high priest? Why why do we need a high priest? Why even talk about this? And the answer to that, I think, is pretty straightforward. Because God sets the terms for how we approach him. We, We don't set our own terms and say, this is how I approach God. God is God, and he sets the terms for how we approach him. You might think of a a kind of ridiculous example in comparison to this, but in the same way that Costco says you don't get to enter their building unless you have a membership. They set the terms. God says "You, you don't get to enter my presence unless you have a high priest. He sets the terms for how we approach him. In the Old Testament, God shows us that we need a high priest in order to relate to him, that we need a high priest who would represent us before God by offering sacrifices for us and interceding for us. God was saying for thousands of years, over and over and over again, if you want to relate to me, you need a high priest. And he was doing this in order to set the stage and point forward to Jesus as the better high priest. The preacher says that just as God appointed high priests in the Old Testament, Chapter 5, verse 1, so also he appointed Jesus as our high priest, verse 5. The high priest in the Old Testament would represent the people, represent the people by ministering on their behalf in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And then the preacher tells us that Jesus as our high priest has passed through the heavens. What does that mean? It's a picture of his ascension. That after he lived and died and was raised, he ascended into heaven, the place where God is right now, to represent or minister on our behalf, telling us that Jesus is in the place that the tabernacle and the temple were always only shadows of, pointing forward to. We, We hear this later in Hebrews 9, where we're told, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. This is part of where we can see that Jesus is the better high priest, the greater high priest, we're told. Why? Because he's not in the shadow. He's in the real place in heaven right now on our behalf. And we're also told he's not just our representative there for us, He's the one who grants us access. That's the first thing we say. How can I be confident to approach God? Because Jesus grants us access to God. See, what's the difference there? A a representative goes somewhere you you or I can't go on our behalf. They, in essence, say, I'll go there for you. That's what the high priest in the Old Testament did. Where once a year... They went into the very center of God's presence, the most holy place that was behind the curtain or the veil. And they went in there to represent the people as they offered a sacrifice. But someone who provides access enables you and I to go where they are. They say, you get to come with me. And and this is exactly what Jesus does as our high priest. This is the picture of why does the temple curtain get torn in two 
at Jesus' death. Because Jesus is saying, it's open. You come with me now. Where I am, you get to go. And you get to be there with me right now. Jesus has opened the way into God's presence. He's our access. He's our in. He's, he's quite literally our friend in a high place. My, my only claim to fame, and it's a pretty weak one, is that uh, I met Nick Foles the summer after he won the Super Bowl. It's about the only famous person I think I've met in my life. He was doing this book signing tour, and, and I got to, before he signed books at this bookstore, I got to go back into his presence, meet him, talk with him a little bit, and get a picture with him. Now, how, how did I get that type of access? Because my friend Alex was a manager at the bookstore. And so he provided me access to get to meet Nick Foles and talk with him on the basis that he was the manager at this store. Alex didn't simply represent me and go to Nick Foles and say, hey, Nick, I'm here for Kyle. He said, you get to come back and you get to meet Nick. In fact, I actually remember him opening a side door so that I could get in. That's the picture of Jesus, our high priest. He opens the door so that we go in. He's not just in heaven right now saying, I'm here for Kyle. He's in heaven right now saying, Kyle gets to come in too because I am here. He gets to be where I am. I said, well, how, how does Jesus grant us this type of access? Jesus grants us access to God on the basis of his sacrifice. We're told if you look back at verse one of chapter five, that every priest is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. High, price, high priests are appointed to offer sacrifices for sinners so that they get to relate to God on the basis of that sacrifice. The, the sacrifice is meant to deal with the sin that separates us from God but we find that none of the sacrifices offered by the high priest in the Old Testament were ever enough. Why? Because they're always offering more and more and more and more and more, not just for the people, but for themselves. So then we get to Jesus, the better high priest. Well, what, what sacrifice does he offer? You probably already know the answer to that question. He, he offers himself. He, he offers his perfect life and death in our place. This is the sacrifice he offers as our high priest. This is part of what, if you were listening as we read through verses 7 through 9, you might have thought, that sounds so weird. Like, Jesus learned obedience. Isn't he the son of God? What, how do you, Jesus had to be perfected. Wasn't he already perfect? What, what is being communicated there? Jesus had to come and live a perfect life so that he could then offer that life as a sacrifice for us. And now based on that, that is what grants us access before God the Father, right now in this moment. Go, go back again to just the, the image of Costco that I gave you earlier. When you enter Costco, what do you have to do? What do you have to do to get into Costco? You take out a membership card and you flash it and you show it to them. And, and as long as you have that membership card, you will always get in and never be turned away. But if you don't have it, you never get in. We're being told Jesus' sacrifice is our membership card into heaven. 
that as long as we're trusting in what he's done for us, we never get turned away. We always get into his presence. Now, just think about this for me with a moment. How easy it is for us to fall back onto thinking that we approach God and get into his presence on the basis of something else. Because how easy it is for us to have confidence before God based on how we're feeling. What do I mean by that? That if we're feeling really spiritual, we feel like we've kind of got it together, then we approach God with confidence. But if not, well, then we kind of shrink back. Or how easy it is for us to approach God based on how we're doing, right? Like, did, did, I, did I do my devotions this week? Did I not sin too badly? Did I kind of go through the right checklist? Well, if so, then, then I approach God confidently. But man, if I screwed up, I, I better not go in too confidently because he, he knows all that and he sees all that. In that moment, what are we doing? We're saying my confidence for approaching God is actually based in myself. Like so often when we approach God, we're tempted to look inward and evaluate how we're feeling and how we're doing and approach God based on that. That's the wrong place to look. That's like going to Costco, opening up your wallet and showing them the amount of money you have and thinking that's what gets you in. No, the membership does. So too, we don't get in before God because of how we're feeling or how we're doing. We get in because Jesus is our high priest who's laid down his life for us. And that provides us access constantly to God's presence. Scott Hubbard puts it this way. He says, because Jesus sits at the right hand of his Father in heaven, repentant sinners can approach the throne of God with boldness, no matter how filthy we feel. We can come when we have nothing to show for ourselves. We can come when we have just awakened from the stupidity of sin. We can come when so much inside of us feels cold and dead. And we can do so because we do not come on our own merits, but rather on the merits of Jesus, heaven's great high priest. Jesus grants us access to God on the basis of his sacrifice so we can boldly approach God. Through Jesus, we can approach God's heavenly throne with boldness and confidence. Verse 16 in Hebrews 4 would have been the most shocking verse to a first century century Israelite. Because God's throne is glorious and holy. And it was represented on the earth as the seat on the Ark of the Covenant that's behind the veil in the temple. You don't approach that with boldness. You don't approach that at all unless you want to drop dead. And yet, the preacher is saying, we get to approach not just that, but actually God's heavenly throne with a type of boldness and confidence because Jesus is our high priest. And because that throne of glory and holiness is now a throne of grace for us. Do you want to be reminded what an incredible privilege prayer is? It's really easy for us to forget this. It's really easy for me to forget this. But this was the picture that kept going through my mind this week. You want to be reminded what an incredible privilege prayer is? Then remind yourself of the picture in Hebrews 4.16. That every single time we pray, 
we actually enter into God's throne room in heaven, and we come to the one who sits on a throne, who rules sovereign over every person, every nation, and all of history. And then get this. He actually listens to us. That's crazy. That's crazy. And yet that's the type of access we have through Jesus, our high priest, to go anytime before God's throne and know that he's going to hear me because Jesus is at his right hand. We might also then ask, okay, well, I may be confident to approach this God, but how can I be confident he cares for me? This God's in heaven. He's holy. He's awesome. He's great. How can I be confident he understands what I'm facing right now? like the pain that I'm going through, the temptation I'm facing, the suffering I'm, how can I be confident he understands that at all and cares about me at all? And again, the answer is because Jesus is our high priest. Because a high priest not only represents people before God, but also identifies with all the people. And Jesus is able to do this because he's not only fully God, but also fully man. We, We see, first of all, Jesus sympathizes with us. That, that word in verse four, or 15, sympathize, it, it's actually literally co-sufferer. That Jesus is a co-sufferer with us. I think so often when we walk through suffering, we look around and we think other people don't understand what I'm facing. They just don't get what I'm going through right now. And often that's true. Right? Often that's true. Other people don't really get it. And yet we're also often tempted to look at God and say, God doesn't really know what I'm facing right now. He doesn't really understand what I'm walking through, what I feel in this moment. And that's never true. That's never true. Because whatever path that you're walking on of pain and hurt and suffering, Jesus looks at us and says, I've been there too. And I know exactly what that feels like. And I'm with you right there now in the midst of it. He not only says that to us in our suffering, but he also says that to us in all our temptations. Every type of temptation we face, Jesus has faced in a similar way. We, we should never think, well, because Jesus was God, that, that temptation that he faced was easy to endure because that completely denies his full humanity. He experienced temptation in a way that you and I will never experience because he experienced it constantly and he never once gave in. And you and I are so prone to give in. And so he looks at us in our temptation and he says, I know exactly what that's like. I've been where you are now and I'm right there with you in the midst of it. And because of that, we can approach Jesus in our suffering, in our temptation, and in our sin and expect him to deal gently with us. That God deals gently with us in the midst of all those things. Jesus sympathizes with us and will deal gently with us. I I remember the first time uh, I got a migraine in my life. I was in my, I think, late 20s. I'd never had a migraine before. And I'd heard other people up to that moment talk about, like, getting migraines themselves. And I never actually voiced this out loud, but I always maybe kind of thought in my head, like, oh, so you had a bad headache? Uh, Well, why don't you take some Tylenol and kind of, like, move on with life? And then I got a migraine one night. I woke up in the middle of the night with a pain in my head that I've never felt before. Like a pain that made me feel nauseous. 
and the thought of throwing Tylenol at that pain seemed like a joke. Now, all of a sudden, the next time I heard someone talk about having a migraine, I was far more compassionate, far more gentle in my mental response, because I knew what that type of pain felt like. It's like that in any suffering or any temptation to sin, right? If we walk through it ourselves, we tend to be far more compassionate and gentle with others who are walking through it in the current moment. Because Jesus has suffered and been tempted to sin, we can expect that when we approach him, we won't receive coldness, but compassion. We won't receive harshness, but but gentle mercy. I love that. Because it means we never go to Jesus in the midst of our suffering, whatever it might be, and hear him saying a response, suck it up. That's life. Get used to it. Right? We hear him saying, no, I, I know how bad that hurts. Like, I've been there too. And I can supply exactly the grace that you need in this moment. When we come to Jesus in our temptations seeking help, or after we've sinned seeking mercy, we, we don't find him with a furrowed brow and a shaking head and a pointed finger saying, you did it again. You did it again. And we find him with gentle mercy in his eyes. As he says, like, I know how hard temptation is. I know how difficult it is to beat that. I've been there. But because I've never sinned and I've beaten all temptation, I can supply you with the grace you need and I can supply you with the mercy you need as you fall to that sin. Jesus sympathizes with us and will deal gently with us so he can provide exactly what we need. Like, this is why we need a high priest who's not only fully man, but also fully God. Because we need someone who not only understands us or gets us, but also someone who can save us and actually help us. If Jesus simply understands us, but he can't do anything to help us, it's pointless in the long run. I mean, th- think about if you go to a doctor and you start to describe to a doctor a type of pain that you're feeling, a hurt that you're feeling, this, this thing that you've been experiencing, and eventually the doctor kind of lights up and says, I know exactly what that is. I had the exact same thing. And you say, okay, great, so you can help me? The doctor says, uh, no, I can't help you. I, I actually I have no idea what to do for that. You say, That's pointless. This doesn't help me. In the same way, if Jesus only understands what we're experiencing, but he can't actually help us in the midst of it, well, then it ends up proving pointless in the long run. But we're told it's through Jesus that we approach God's throne of grace where we can expect to receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Jesus knows exactly what you and I need and he alone is the one who's able to actually supply it. The mercy we need for our sin, Jesus not only knows that we need it, he alone can supply it to us. The grace you need for whatever you're walking through right now, the grace you need as a husband or wife, the grace you need as a parent, the grace you need in the face of suffering you're walking through, the grace you need for your job, to deal with your neighbor, to endure anything, 
Jesus not only knows exactly what grace you and I need, he alone can supply it. That should make our confidence in God soar because it means he really does understand me and he really is the one who's able to help me in the midst of all I walk through in this life. We might also think, okay, well, Jesus, my high priest, gives me confidence in the present. I can be confident in my approach to God, confidence in his care for me, but what confidence do I have for the future? How can I be confident my future will be, really be with God? I don't know if, if you're like me, but if you're like me, you can be very aware of how sinful you are at times. You can be very aware of how fickle your heart is at times. Very aware of how weak your faith may feel at certain times. Very aware of just how up and down you might go in your spiritual life. In the midst of all, we might start to think, what confidence do I have that I will ever make it to the end? Right? Like the, the thought of living with God in new heavens and new earth, that, that can seem so far out there. Then start, what confidence do I really have that I'm going to get there? I'm actually going to make it there. In those moments, we, we have to fight the urge to look at ourselves and find confidence in ourselves, and instead to look up, see Jesus as our high priest, and find confidence in him. Because Hebrews tells us Jesus is a high priest forever. 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 We, we find in the Old Testament, high priests were always needing to be replaced. They're a little bit like light bulbs. They worked for a while, but then they died, and they had to get replaced. And yet then we come to Jesus as our high priest, and we hear something different about him. We hear he's a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Who in the world is Melchizedek? What is he doing showing up in Hebrews? Well, he's this kind of international man of mystery who shows up in Genesis 14 to bless Abraham. And we find out that he is a king and a priest. And so that's part of why we're told Jesus is in the order of Melchizedek, because Jesus is a king and he's a priest. But we also don't get any record of Melchizedek dying, and we don't really know why that is. And part of what the author of Hebrews is emphasizing then when he quotes Psalm 110 to refer back to Jesus is the durability and lasting nature of Jesus' high priesthood. He's saying death cannot remove Jesus from his post because Jesus already died and was raised back to life, so he can't die again. Hebrews is telling us Jesus is your high priest forever. That's his job description for all eternity, which means the, grants, the access he grants us today is the same access that he grants us tomorrow and the next day and a thousand years from now. We might ask, well, what, what's he doing as our high priest right now in heaven? Right? If, we, if we get a look into it, a sneak peek into heaven, what would we see Jesus doing right now in this moment as our high priest? Luckily, Hebrews tells us, because we can turn to Hebrews 7, 23 through 25, where it says, the former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently, forever, because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. 
save fully, finally, to the end. Why? Since he always lives to make intercession for them. What Jesus is doing for you, if your faith is in him right now in heaven, he's interceding for you. It's what he lives to do, we're told. Jesus is a high priest forever who always intercedes for us, which should then lead us to ask, well, what does it mean to say that Jesus intercedes for you and I? In one sense, it means that Jesus is praying for us right now. That right in this moment, Jesus is praying for everyone who's putting their, or put their faith in him. Think about how comforting that is. Like there are moments in life where we just don't know what to pray. Well, I don't know. I don't even know what I need right now, God, but I need something. And in that moment, you've got a high priest who knows exactly what you need, and he's praying it for you. That's comforting. But, but even more than that, it also means he's continually speaking to God about what he has done for us. He's in the Father's ear, continually saying, remember what I did for them. Dane Ortland puts it this way. He says, the atonement, Jesus' death on the cross, accomplished our salvation. Intercession is the moment-by-moment application of that atoning work. In the past, Jesus did what he now talks about. In the present, Jesus talks about what he did then. I, I experienced a type of intercession in our home this past week. And I'm guessing you've experienced this too, especially if you are a parent. Because the, the one night, one of the evenings this past week, I, I told my son Oliver, hey, if we uh, get a bath, or if you get a bath early tonight, then we can watch Bluey before you go to bed. Okay? You, get, you do an early bedtime or bath time, you get to watch a couple of episodes of Bluey before you go to bed. And so we kind of went about our evening. Uh, he agreed. We did the early bath time, came back downstairs, and I was kind of doing my own thing. And all of a sudden, my son comes up to me, and he says, Daddy, remember Bluey. Now, what was he doing in that moment? He was interceding for himself in that moment, saying, Daddy, remember what I did, and remember what I now deserve as a result. That, that's a picture of intercession. But Jesus, as our high priest, intercedes not for himself, but for us. So he's saying, Father, remember what I did for them? Remember my perfect, spotless life that I gave on the cross? Remember my righteousness that now covers them? They deserve to be here with you because what I have done is, was, and always will be enough. Jesus is interceding for us on the basis of what he's done, reminding the Father of what we now deserve as a result of what he's done. Not because the Father needs to be reminded and somehow is really forgetful, but because the Father loves to be reminded. He loves to be reminded of what the Son has done for sinners like us. Because in Jesus' intercession, he is glorified as our Savior, and our security is ultimately rooted in him, him alone. Jesus is a high priest forever who always intercedes for us, so our future is secure in him. 
in interceding for us, Jesus is literally bearing our names before the throne of God in heaven right now. He, in this way, he is forever our reservation in heaven. That's why to picture Jesus as your high priest. He is our reservation in heaven. You think about when you make a reservation to go out to eat, what do they do? They write down your name on a list. And if your name is there, then your spot is secure. Jesus bears our names before the Father. Our names are written in heaven on him. And as long as he is there, then our spot is secure in him. That's why Hebrews 5.9 says he is the source or grounds for our eternal salvation. Bobby Jameson puts it this way. He says, where Jesus is, you will be. His present is your future. That's why the preacher tells us in verse 14 of chapter 4, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Because as long as our faith is in Christ in the present and we're holding fast our confession, then our future with him is secure. I want to close this morning as the, the worship team comes up to lead us in a couple more songs by reading the words of a, a hymn that you may have heard, may be familiar with. It's a hymn called Before the Throne of God Above. And it's a hymn that captures so well what Hebrews is saying about Jesus as our high priest. And here's how I want you to hear it. I want you and I to hear it as a hymn describing reality because it's describing what is really happening right now in heaven. That though we don't see it with our eyes, we grasp by faith and hold fast to. It's describing our confession in many ways of Jesus as our high priest. And so if you want to, you can close your eyes to try to picture this as I speak these words, but you can also look up on the screen if that's more helpful because I have the words up there as well. It goes like this. It says, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest whose name is love, whoever lives and pleads for me. My name is graven on his hands, and my name is written on his heart. I know that while in heaven he stands, no tongue can bid me thus depart. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and I see him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on him and pardon me. Behold him there, the risen lamb, my perfect spotless righteousness, the great unchangeable I am, the king of glory and of grace. One with himself I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. Father, I pray that that would be our confidence. I pray if there's anyone here who is not trusting in Christ as the confidence 
before you, that they might turn trust in him today. And yet I pray for those who are trusting in Christ, and yet so often our confidence before you might waver, that in those moments we would not look inward, but we would look upward. We'd remember Jesus is our high priest. He's in heaven right now. And we would approach you with boldness and confidence and find mercy and grace for all that we need. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.